Morning, Brookside. It's great to see you today. I hope, uh, hope you're having a great weekend, as Brad said. And um, yeah, it's just it's a joy uh, to be able to come together and, and to, to worship God together in this place. So, uh, so I want to welcome you here today. Uh, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. And, um, and yeah, we're just really excited to see what God um, wants to continue to do in this place. We're grateful to see the activity of God um, so often. I wanted to celebrate actually two things with you this morning before we kind of dive in. Um, on Friday night, we had over 150 middle schools, last Friday night, over 150 middle school students in this place. Imagine that, caffeinated 150 middle school students up all night. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised all of you weren't there helping out, you know, what's the deal? Um, really, though, on that note, we have some of the best middle school leaders, small group leaders, I think, of any church, and, um, and it, honestly, I wanted to celebrate with you what God is doing in the lives of the next generation, because by you being a part of this church, your investment in this church, you are directly related to events that happened like on Friday night, where we're exposing the next generation to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and then it was really fun last Sunday night to see um, so many of you who were able to make it down to the Open Door Mission, and we were able to put on a Valentine's dinner um, for over 250 people that right now they're homeless and um, what an opportunity we had to treat them with honor and dignity and to really bless them and so I just wanted to say to you as a church way to go whether it's happening through a small group or through our student ministries or our children's ministries wherever it is God is moving and so way to go way to be a part of of what he's doing we really celebrate that um, if you're newer to Brookside, Rob made mention of this. We're on kind of a special journey uh, this year, and I, I mention this because it makes sense to you. It'll make sense to you and why we're teaching what we're teaching each and every week. But we've challenged the church, really anybody who would take the challenge, would you read through the Bible uh, with us in 2016? So if you go to our website, you can find this button there, and, and that's where you can, you can really figure out, you can go there and find the plan that we're reading through the scriptures, and it's been really Really cool to see the amount of people that are engaging with this. You know, I was talking to a guy recently, and he said, you know what, I've never read through the entire Bible. I've been a Christian for a long time, but I've not read through the scriptures um, before from start to finish. And he said, it is building, it's transforming, it's really breathing life into my faith. And so I would encourage you, don't worry about catching up, just jump in and, uh, and join us. Um, you can do that again online. And then what we're doing on Sunday mornings is we're teaching uh, right along with that plan. So like this morning, we're going to teach from a passage that you read just this last week. Well, today, um, I believe as we get to Numbers chapters 13 and 14, um, we're in for a real treat. Um, this is the kind of passage this morning that I believe God wants to use to really inspire, to really lift up our faith. Um, I was so excited when Steve gave me this teaching assignment. From the moment I got it, I thought, oh, that's a good one. I, I'm really excited to teach this passage. And what I believe it will do this morning is this. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, today might be the day that it actually ignites your faith for the very first time by the, through the, the God's working and through the scriptures. Or maybe for you this morning, you would say this, it's going to be more of a time where God reignites, God births something in you. He maybe restokes a fire that is your faith to an all new level. And so this, this passage that we're going to look at, I believe it's inspiring. I believe that it's going to cause us to say, God, I aspire to take my faith to a new place. God, I, I aspire to be the kind of person that I don't simply settle for something less than something great that you might have for me. God, I desire to be the kind of person that I dream big dreams for what you might have 
for my life and what you might want to do in and through your church. And so with that, would you pray with me? And let's just ask God very humbly, let's just say, okay, God, we're here this morning. We want to hear from you. God, would you do a great work? So pray with me and, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for this place where we can come and, and we can worship you. Father, I'm, I'm just really grateful. Um, it is a blessing. And Father, we want to say to you this morning as we have sung, Lord, you are a good, good father. Um, you are amazing, Lord. You are the type of God that you know us. You know us by name. You know those who are in the room today and they have a heavy heart. And you know those who are in the room today that they're filled with extravagant joy. And so, Lord, we want to say to you this morning, wherever we're at, you're a good father. And we want more of you. And so we desire, Lord, that you would teach us through your word. And so we commit this time to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you, um, have you ever um, had this experience where you, um, you know the kind of person that when they walk into the room, their presence alone, it lifts the environment. You know what I mean? It kind of elevates the room. Like when this person walks into the room, it changes the dynamics of the room. This person, maybe you would say they're, they're optimistic. They're full of energy. They're, they've got an outlook on life that is just, it's positive, and they're just, they're excited about it. It's not like the kind of energy like they drink too many five-hour energy drinks. It's, it's like, it's natural. It's like they've got this outlook that is, that is feeding and really is, is giving them a lens through which they're looking through life that when this person walks into the room, they elevate the room. They're the kind of person that you want to be around. They're the kind of person that um, when they rub off on you, it's, you're like, wow, I, I want to be around that person more. We see this on sporting teams all the time. You'll hear a coach say, so-and-so does so much more than just their job on our team. They elevate the whole team. They, they set the tone. They, they really change the environment of the team, and they're contagious. On the flip side of that, have you ever experienced what happens when a person comes into the room and it's the kind of person that they suck all the life and the joy out of the room? You ever had that experience? It's like, you know, this emotional vacuum happens. You ever been there? Maybe you were hopeful. Maybe you were optimistic about what life could be like and you, maybe you were talking to them about a dream that you sensed that God had for your life or something that you were hoping to see God do and, and all of a sudden that person reminded you as though it was kind of like their job of all the things that were incredibly wrong with the world as if you had forgotten and, and they just wanted you to kind of wallow with them and you were just like, oh, Debbie Downer, wet blanket, you know, and you, you felt that, right? We've been there, right? We've all seen that. What's scary is when we see ourselves as that person, which I know I can be from even time to time. Today, here's the deal, though. We're not going to talk about that person because that would be depressing, right? And we don't want to do that. You didn't come here for that. But here's what we're new. We're going to look at the scriptures today, and we're going to see that first person. We're going to see the, the kind of person that when they walk into the room, they elevate the room. And the, the person, the people that we're going to see in the scriptures, it's not just because they're optimistic. Anybody can be optimistic. But it's because what they have inside of them is this extraordinary faith. We're going to see two individuals this morning in the scriptures that they have this kind of faith that it inspires others. It makes you go, okay, what are the dreams that God has for my life? Have I abandoned those? And why would I? It's the kind of person that when you're around them, you feel like, whoa, I want to be more courageous. When you're around this kind of person, you're like, whoa, I want to take a step of faith. Lord, I want to, I want to pray differently. I want to interact with God differently. 
And again, it's not simply because they're optimistic. It's because they have this deeply rooted, extraordinary faith in the promises of God based on something that's completely true. I can think of different people in my life that have extraordinary faith. And when I'm around them and when I leave their presence, it's, it's as though God's kind of breathed some life into me and I've kind of got a little hop in my step. I, I want to pray differently. I want to expect God to do more in and through myself and through our church. It's inspiring. It makes me want to anticipate the things that God could do. When I'm around people like this, I find myself saying to God, God, would you help me to be more like that? Lord, would you help me to be the player on the team that my extraordinary faith inspires other people? God, would you help me with that? I was recently at a funeral uh, service, and I had a very brief conversation with this woman who had just lost her dear husband of 55 years. And I left this very short conversation with her impacted by the fact because it was so evident that she lived and she had built this muscle of extraordinary faith throughout her life just by the few things that she said to me. Now imagine this. Imagine if you, if people said of you, when I'm with, when I'm with you, my faith gets inspired. When I'm with you, I have a different outlook on life. When I'm with you, the promises of God seem to come alive, and, and, and maybe even the ones that I've abandoned, I go back to. Maybe the prayers that I stopped praying, I'm spurred on to pray those same prayers again. Imagine if that would be true of you. Imagine if people left my presence in your presence, and they said, God is able. And I'm excited today because this passage that we're going to look at it's going to give us two examples that really drive home and really help us answer this question. Here's the question for this morning. Here it is. How do I live with an extraordinary faith? How do I live not with just a, you know, a normal and average Joe faith, but how do I live with an extraordinary faith? And then this is the answer to it. Here it is. This is the main point. My picture of God determines the size of my faith in God. My picture of God, how I see God, it determines, it is directly correlated to my faith in God. And my faith in God, what does it do then? It determines my journey with God. It determines the everyday life and the workings of my faith. What I love about this example, though, this morning that we're going to read in Numbers 13 and 14 is that it did not come in an environment where it was easy. Because it would be easy if life was just going well to say, yeah, I trust God for big things. I want to live with extraordinary faith if everything was hunky-dory. But it's a little different, isn't it? When it's against the, it's a little different when you're standing alone. It's a little different when everything around you is kind of screaming Debbie Downer, but you're saying, no, 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 God wants this. It, it's hard. And so I love that about this passage. The example that we're getting is in the midst of really trial. So let me give you some context before we get to Numbers 13 and 14. Here's what's happened up to this point. God has made this promise through the family of Abraham. And he said, I'm going to build a, a great nation. And I'm going to let this nation be a people that they're blessed. And ultimately this nation, they're going to inherit this land, this promised land that I'm going to give them the land of Canaan. And so sure enough, that nation grows up into a great nation. So great that they become a threat in Egypt. And so what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh enslaves them. We see this in the book of Exodus. And then we see what does God do? God delivers these people. So he makes this promise through Abraham. I'm going to raise up a great nation. They get enslaved. Then we see in Exodus, God delivers them from that slavery. Then we get to the book of Leviticus. And God says, okay, now 
I want to show you how can a sinful people, how can a people who inherently do wrong, how can they live in the presence of a holy God? What does that look like? How can they do that? So that's what we see in the book of Leviticus. And then we get to the book of Numbers. And it's as, it's as though there have been setbacks along the way, and now we're getting to the point where God is again hitting the play button, and we're moving forward, and Israel's about to grab a hold of these promises that have said would come through this family line of, of Abraham. So we've got creation, Genesis, then we've got Exodus, where we've got the people of God, they're raised up, but then they're in bondage and slavery. We've got Leviticus, how do we relate to God? And then we get to the book of Numbers, and it's, this, this, it's the story of Israel's journey. The actual word Numbers, it translates this, it means this, in the wilderness. And then this is kind of, a, kind of a funny little picture here, but it's actually a pretty good picture of the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers means in the wilderness, and here's the thing. The people in the book of Numbers, they took a trip that could have taken them two weeks on foot. And they turned it into a trip that would take them 40 years. And so the book of Numbers takes us through what was that journey like? What were some of the events uh, that took place? And so by the time we get to chapter 13 in the book of Numbers, we're in the third section of this book. And the people of Israel are in this place called the desert, the, or the wilderness, really, of Paran. And this is where the people send out 12 spies. Imagine that, kind of this cool team, you know. They're going to send out 12 spies, and, and their, their mission is to go out and to explore the land of Canaan. Go out and explore this promised land that God has given to them. So i, I got to think this would have been a very exciting day for them. This would have been a day that they were anticipating, oh, let's go see this land that we've been hearing about, that God's been promising, and we've been, we've been doing the wander thing, but now let's go, let's go see this place. And so this is what it says um, in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. Upon their request, it says, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each of the ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So it's 12 men from the 12 tribes, uh, one, one man from each tribe. And they're, they're being sent out, and, and I kind of picture, this is, you know, they're getting their marching orders. I kind of picture them, they're, they're standing around Moses, and, and there's this intimate gathering, and, and maybe their faces are painted, because this is like undercover. This is like special forces, right? It's a big deal. And so he's giving them this little pep talk, and then he sends them out, and they're to go behind enemy lines. And they're to bring back this report, okay, what is this land that God has been promising to us? What does it look like? And so it says this in verse 17. It says, when Moses sent them to, the, to explore uh, Canaan, Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, whether they're few or whether they're many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they uh, unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? Are there any trees in it or not? Good question. Um, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. I like that. You know, Moses is very specific. And uh, I just kind of wonder if Moses was like, I'm not sure about you 12 cats. You know, so why don't you bring me back some fruit just so I have a little bit of proof, you know, of what this, what this place is really like. And so they go out. And now here's the thing that you've got to realize. They come back and they have proof. But I want you to know this wasn't a day trip. This wasn't like he was saying, hey, I want you to go from Brookside to Midtown and back. No, 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 it wasn't the case at all. 
They were going from the southernmost point of this promised land in the desert of Paran all the way to Rehob, which was clear in the northernmost point. This was a round trip, get this, of 500 miles. This is a big deal. And so here's how it went. Verse 23 says this. It says, when they had reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes, just like Moses wanted. Uh, two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. So obviously this, these were some majorly, you know, like grapes the size of snowballs. It says that place was called the Valley of Eshkol. They, I mean, they named a place after it because the cluster of grapes the Israelite cut off were there. They were so, they were so grand. Verse 25, and at the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. And so they come back now, and, and they've got the grapes, and now they're ready to make this report. And so they say, it says this in the text. It says, that place was called, uh, yeah, that, uh, there we go. Actually, let's go one more. Yeah, they came back to Moses and to Aaron and to the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. It says, there they reported to them and to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. So, I mean, this would have been good news. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and here it is. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Now, you can imagine in in that moment there would have been an environment like, hey, look, guys, this is exactly what God said it would be. Land flowing with milk and honey, meaning, man, the soil's good, the trees look good, uh, man, it's, it's just a great place. Moses, here, look, have a grape for dinner, the whole, just one, right? It's beautiful. Now, do you think, though, that this tone kept on? Do you think that that was really the tone? Was that the spirit of the day? No, it wasn't. If you know this story, there is fear and there is disbelief that quickly comes into the picture. Here's the thing, extraordinary faith. It's about to get stepped on. Here's what they said. It says, but the people, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities, they're fortified, meaning that the walls of the city, they're enormous. They're very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. What they're saying is this, there's... There's a lot of people there, and not only are there a lot of people, but some of the people, like the Anakin-type types, they're huge. They're, like, really big, and they're scary. Now, seriously, I think if you would have looked into the eyes of these, um, of, of these men at this point, I think you would have seen fear. You would have seen that, okay, while God promised one thing, their eyes are not on God at all. In fact, their eyes are so much on these giants of the land. Their eyes are on the fact that they went around and they saw all these different people groups over this 500-mile journey, and they're back, and honestly, they're fearful. They've lost sight of who God is. Let me ask you, have you ever had your hopes and dreams, maybe something that you were just longing for? You felt like it was dashed, and so all you could do and, and, and all you felt prompted to do was to hang your head, mope for a while, and then move on. And just to leave the thing that you thought maybe God had for you alone. And maybe you've never gone back to it since. But then we come in the text to verse 40. And into the story enters what we're talking about this morning. Extraordinary faith. What does it mean to be the kind of person that when you walk into the room and as people rub up against you, all of a sudden inside of them is is spurred on this extraordinary faith. God is able. Here's what Caleb says. 
It says, then Caleb, he silenced the people before Moses and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Think about that. Caleb silenced the people. Here's what I imagine. The 12 are there and they're reporting back to Moses and they're talking and there's 10 of them that are saying, no, yeah, it's really bad. And as one of them speaks up, I bet the rest of them were like, yeah, it's really bad. We shouldn't go. And the grapes are good. But forget, I mean, this is really bad. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I bet you Caleb just, I bet he couldn't take it any longer. I bet he stood up and he just said, stop it. Be quiet. You guys have lost sight of who God is. You're talking about the land. You're talking about the giants. I get it. But he, I think he said, no, 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 no prompted by his extraordinary faith, not in his own ability. Know this, Caleb wasn't just this really kind of crazy hairball guy that was just like, let's just go ahead and risk the lives of all of Israel. He wasn't that guy. But what we know about Caleb was he was the kind of person that he said, I believe in the tr promises of God. And since I believe God and my picture of God is right, it propels me to want to live by faith. Have you ever written off anything in your life that seemed impossible? Have you ever stopped praying for someone or for something just because it seemed like it was impossible? Caleb is like this reminder to us this morning. He's saying, yeah, it's not about the, how the circumstance looks. Caleb's saying, it's about the God that you love. It's about the God that is a, he's a good, good father to you. I love what Caleb did there. I'm learning this, okay? in process right here. I'm learning that extraordinary faith sees things through God's lens. Because honestly, I can be fearful. I can have like low, you know, my dreams are not big enough. And, and I believe that God says to us, I need you to look at life. I need you to look at people. I need you, Brookside Church, I need you to look at your city through the eyes of God. Not through what maybe you think is possible, but ask this question, what is possible with God. Well, what maybe drives you to fear, put that in the category and then just say, okay, but what about God? When God looks at our city, what does he want? When God looks at your marriage, what does he hope for? When God looks at that relationship that you've given up on, what is the desire of God in the midst of what you and I might think is impossible? When we look at the promises of God and we remember who he is, I believe it fuels this thing inside of us called extraordinary faith. I don't believe that God looks at our church and he says, I want you just to be a safe church where you guys just get by. I believe God says that, hey, with me, let's look at this city and let's say, okay, God, you want to do great things and we want to be a dramatic part of that. I believe that God looks at your home and he says, I don't want you just to raise kids that just, you know, they grow up and they're nice and they're polite and maybe they don't cuss and swear. I think God goes, I've got something bigger in mind. I think God looks at your marriage and he says, you know what? Let's not shoot for average. God says, I'm a good father to you. I have something, I have something bigger. I have something better for you. When you're around someone of extravagant faith, it causes you to say, I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to be that kind of person. The story goes on and, and uh, you know, it, it, it takes a, a turn that's not pleasant because, unfortunately, um, Caleb was in the minority. Uh, Caleb wasn't in the position where he could just kind of turn the crowd really quickly just by his extraordinary faith in God. And so it says this, and let me take you to this text, in verse 31, it says this. 
It says, but the men who had gone up with him, they said this. So now Caleb said his piece, and now here they go. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Have you ever made excuses? I feel like this text drives us right to a fork in the road. Either you go excuses with life or you, you grab a hold of promises. Excuses or promises. It says, and then they, and then they spread uh, this kind of report uh, among the Israelites about the land that they had explored, meaning they just kept going. They just spread the news that we can't do this. Hey, just so you know, we explore. We're one of the 12. You, we can't do it. And then it says this. They said the land that we explored, it devours those living in it. All the people that we saw there are of great size. They keep going. It says we seemed like grasshoppers uh, in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them, meaning well, we felt little, and honestly, we looked little. I mean, we just are. We cannot do it. One commentator put it like this. I love this. He said, we are continually faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as insolvable problems. You see that happening in this text? Brilliant opportunity. Go, claim the land that God's promised to you. No, 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 no. That's an insolvable problem. But God, I think, says to us, no, no, I've got brilliant opportunities. And then this happens, here's what happens next, chapter 14, goes like this. It says, that night all of the members of the community, they raised their voices and they wept aloud. And all the Israelites, what did they do? They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, meaning this, if only we could go back to slavery. They're really down and out, aren't they? And then they said, why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children, we will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Wouldn't it be better to live in that environment? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Meaning this, Moses, you just lost your job, bro. There's ten of us. Surely we can raise up one cat to lead this thing forward in a different direction. Let's go back to Egypt. It says, then Moses and Aaron, what did they do? They fell down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had, been explored, who had explored the land, says that they tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land that we passed through and explored is exceedingly good, meaning you don't want to miss out on it. And then it says this, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Don't, don't rebel. Stay faithful to God. And then he goes on. He says, and do not be afraid of the people in the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Notice the key thing that he goes back to. He says, the Lord is with us. Church, do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28? He gave us this huge mission as a church. He said, I want you to help people. I want you to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. He said, go make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said this. I love it. He said, and I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you. When you feel prompted in your workplace to share your faith, when you have a neighbor that you just want to love on, and you, you kind of go, well, maybe I feel a little dumb about No, 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 no. God's saying to you, I'm with you in that. When you step into uncertainty, that's like you're growing that muscle of how you're living with extraordinary faith. 
The next verse says that their response, it wasn't the best to Moses' plea. And it says that the whole assembly, they talked about stoning them. Let's just stone these fellows. We don't need Joshua. We sure don't need Caleb. And we don't need Moses. Let's stone them. And I think that's what makes this example so powerful to us this morning. Because this was not an easy situation, was it? You read the rest of the story and you see this. You see that because of of their rebellion, God says, you don't don't believe me? You don't believe the promises that I've I've guaranteed to you? God says, you know what, I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to wipe the whole people group out. And so Moses goes before the Lord, if you read on, and he pleads before God. He says, God, would you have mercy on these people? And so God relents, but then God makes this, a very strong statement in verse 23. He says, no one who has treated me with contempt will see it. None of you guys who have said, hey, God can't do that, or, you know, the challenge is too high, and you've looked at yourself, he's saying, none of you will see the land that I've promised to you. One pastor put it like this, every misconception about God has a consequence. That's powerful, isn't it? Every picture that falls short has a consequence. Every time I underestimate who God is, it impacts my actions. My picture of God, what does it do? It directly, it paints the picture of my faith in God. And so if, my, if, I'm, if I don't have a right view of God, it leads to a faith that is minimal at best. And so who will I be more like is I think a question we get from this text. Will I be more like the ten or will I be more like the two? It says this in verse 24. This is how the, the two responded. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, And he follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to. And his descendants will inherit it. I love that. He's saying, Caleb, you've got a different kind of spirit. My prayer for us this morning is this. That we would have a different kind of a spirit. That we would have a spirit that, God, you are God, you are able. God, what seems impossible, Lord, we actually want to be right in the midst of what seems impossible. Because in that place, in that uncertainty, in the area of a little bit of risk, what do we do? We get to see the hand of God so mightily at work. Remember this, our main point for this morning. Here it is. My picture of God, what does it do? It determines the size of my faith in God. And so then Moses, I love this. This is from the book of Exodus. Think about this for a second. This is the picture that Moses had of God. This is what allowed Caleb and Joshua and Moses to be different, to have a different kind of spirit. Here's what it says. Exodus 15, it says, the Lord is a warrior, Moses speaking here. The Lord is his name. And then he goes on and he says says this. He says, who among the gods is, is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? It's as though Moses is having this private little pep rally for God. And as he's doing so, what is it doing? It's fueling the way that his faith will be built. And he's going from a person that may be of small faith to a person of extraordinary faith. But it all flows from this. What is his picture of God? I recently had an experience that fed my picture of God. You ever have those in your life? We all, I think we all do time, from time to time as we seek God. We were down at this um, uh, Valentine's dinner uh, at the Open Door Mission last weekend with our family. And, and um, so it was so cool. You know, all these Brookside volunteers decorated this room so well. And, and so there are like 35 tables and people are going to come in and they're going to sit at a table and they're going to be served by, you know, a Brookside family and, and individuals. And, 
and um, it's just an, a really a night for them. And uh, so the place is ready to go, and we're kind of waiting around, and 5.30 comes, and, and we're waiting for people to come in, and, and then they start streaming in, and, and right before they started streaming in, Steve Parliament, who was running and organizing the thing so well, he said, he said hey, there's a, a table right next to your guys' table that doesn't have anybody. Can you guys watch that table too? Can you serve that table? I said, yeah, yeah, sure, that'd be fine. So that was table 18, you know, and and so in walks all these, these people, and Christina, in her excitement, my wife, she, she turned to me, and she said, that little boy is from Ashland's class, from a school, right, like two blocks from here. And um, we're like, oh, wow. And so she greets them, and she kind of knew the mom and the family a little bit, five, five boys, beautiful family. And so they, you know, they, they kind of came in, and I was thinking, oh, I hope they feel comfortable. You know, obviously, they've been displaced. They're going through an incredibly hard time. They're in a homeless situation right now. I thought, oh, I, hope they, I hope this isn't awkward for them. They know us. So we kind of stood back just to see, you know, let them just sit down, give them some freedom. And so sure enough, they kind of wandered around a little bit, and guess what table they came to? Table 18, you know, and they, they sat right down at table 18. And, and so then we said, okay, well, hey, we're here. And, and we, you know, we did the whole night, and it was awesome. Had a great conversation with them. But I noticed about halfway through the night, I noticed that this mom had not only sat down at table 18, but she had sat down in front of this beautiful vase of flowers. Now, it was the only vase, because I looked around, it was the only vase of flowers in the whole place, 35 tables. Nobody else had flowers. And so I thought to myself, those flowers someone brought. And usually when someone brings flowers, they don't want to give away their vase, you know what I mean? And so I just had this thought go through my mind, uh, I probably shouldn't give those away, but when she got up, when this awesome little mom, when she got up out of her chair, everything in me just said, give her the flowers, you know? And I was, I was like, I hope that's from God, not the devil, Right? And so I grabbed the vase, and I said, and these are for you too. And I thought to myself, okay, imagine this family of six, seven, crammed into this small little place, totally displaced, been there a while. And I thought, maybe this little flowers, maybe just bring some joy to their, their, little, their little place. And so she just beams with joy. And I kind of walked her to the door because I didn't want her to get in trouble, like, for stealing the flowers, you know. So I, like, walked her to the door, she got out with flowers. So we get to the end of the night, long story short. I get over to Steve Parliament, and I say, hey, Steve. I got to tell you, uh, I did something I think was wrong. I said, I, 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 you know, I told him the whole story. I knew his family. It was just kind of a God thing. It was really cool. They ended up sitting at the table. And I said, I only saw one thing of flowers. And so I, I'm sure they were for somebody else. But I just gave them to her. And he said, oh, no. He said, that's great. He goes, Rob and Julie, they just donated one thing of flowers to the, to the thing. And we just put them at that table because people would walk by it. And they looked beautiful for the whole room. And I was like, oh, good. Good, you know. Now, here's the thing. I got in the car that night, and I started putting it together, and I'm telling the kids this. I said, hey, guys, what are the chances? What are the chances from, you know, a school that's two blocks from here, uh, clearing out of the Open Door Mission, that we see a family that we actually know? What are the chances, then, that they wander around 35 different tables, they end up sitting at table 18, the table that we just get at the end of the night? What are the chances that, they, that the mom actually sat right at the spot where the beautiful bouquet, one bouquet of flowers was? And what are the chances that then God prompts and says, hey, give her the flowers? And I just said to myself, I said to the kids, I said, guys, let God inspire your faith. We serve an extraordinary God. And when you stitch the events together in your life, here's the thing. You've got to see this. You've got to see a picture of God that is bigger than you can imagine. Because God is faithful. And we all have those examples in our lives where we just go, God, you're, you're working. God, you're not just somebody I just kind of read about. No, no, no. God, you're alive and you are well. And so I want to ask you this morning, very pointedly, what is your picture of God? Is it getting inspired? Those of you that are doing 365, 
Way to go. Because here's what we're hearing, and we knew this would be true. When I read God's word, it gives me a picture, and it stirs, and it inspires my faith. I want to encourage you. How do you increase your picture of God? Pray prayers that are beyond you. Pray for things that you just know, in my own strength, that can't happen. But here's what it does. It allows you to see God work. Step into uncertainty. I had an experience at the gym the other day. I thought, I do not. I felt prompted to talk to this guy in the locker room. I did not know what to say. So I said, do you like your shoes? (laughs) I was like, oh, God, you know. And sure enough, he was really into his shoes. And so we had this great conversation that led to a much deeper conversation. Here's what I'm telling you. Step into risk. When you feel the prompting of God, don't stand back. Step into it. Because our picture of God, when we believe and when we trust him, here's the thing. Our faith goes from being average to extraordinary. And that's the kind of legacy I know we want to leave. I know we want to, you know, we want to leave and set up our families well, but someday I want us to be able to look back and those in our lives and say, he lived with extraordinary faith. She trusted God. It's amazing. That's who we long to become. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, so why don't you bow your heads and, and um, let me pray, and I, I just, I want to drive us to two things right now, okay? First the thing is this, you might be here today, and I believe this text elicits a response from us and you might be here today and you would say you know what the step for me of to extraordinary faith is actually beginning to have faith and so I just want to encourage you this morning you know how Caleb you know what Caleb did in that in that context what did he do he stepped up so I want to encourage you would this be your moment this morning when you would say I want to begin having faith And so bow your heads right now. I just want to say to you, I want to lead you in that kind of a prayer. And if that's you this morning, I want to ask you to do something. Because I want to pray for you and I want to lead you in this prayer. I want to ask you right now, would you just put your hand up in there if you'd say, yeah, that's me. I want to take the first step to have an extraordinary faith. And I want to live with, I want to put my faith in Christ. Just put your hand up right now and say, yeah, that's me. I want to be a person of extraordinary faith. Yeah, bless you. Awesome. And so pray this prayer right now. God, I believe you died for me. I know you love me. God, I confess my sin to you. God, I want to walk in relationship with you. God, I want to experience the life you have for me because you are a good, good father. And I believe you you died for me. I pray that in your name. And then for the rest of you this morning, I want to ask you to do something. If you're here today and you'd say, you know what, my, my faith, maybe it's on the average side. Maybe you'd say it's, it is on the, ex- the extraordinary side. I want to say to you this morning, would you make a statement today? Would you be the kind of person like Caleb where you would stand up and you'd say, yeah, I, I want to live with extraordinary faith. I want my picture of God to grow. And I'm going to ask you right now, would you just come to, stand to your feet? And would you say, yeah, that's me. I want to be the kind of person that I live with extravagant faith. So stand up right now. If that's you, and you'd say, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a person of extravagant faith. Extravagant faith. Not the kind of faith that's average. I don't want to have an average marriage. I don't want to have just an average impact at work. God, extraordinary faith is what I'm longing for. Heavenly Father, we're your people. And Lord, we say to you in this moment, we say, God, that's who we want to be. 
God, we want to be the kind of people that we're willing to say, God, you are so big, you are so good, you are so great, that we will latch on to the promises of God and we will walk by faith because of who you are. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.